Good morning. Wow. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, my name is Phoebe Stein Davis, and I'm the Executive Director of the Maryland Humanities Council. Can you hear me okay? Standing room only? Yes. Excellent. Uh, the Maryland Humanities Council, through the Maryland Center for the Book, is proud to sponsor the Letters About Literature contest here in Maryland. And we are thrilled to be part of the City Lit Festival here at the Enoch Pratt Free Library. And I want to say a special thank you to Greg Wilhelm and Judy Cooper, uh, the organizers, organizers of the City Lit Festival, for making this possible. I also want to say a special thank you to Dr. Carla Hayden, CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. She was here, but she had to run off to another program. Uh, thank you, Carla, for letting us hold this event in this beautiful space. Um, I just want to say before we get started, also a very special thank you to uh, Maryland Humanities Council staff. This is the second of, I think, about eight weekends that we're working in a row, and we have all hands on deck this morning. A special thank you to Andrea Lewis and Ani Gellis, who put this amazing event together. So thank you to them. I am, I am delighted to welcome the Maryland State winners and finalists, their friends, families, teachers, librarians, and our special guests here today. I want to take a moment to recognize the teachers, media specialists, principals who are here today and ask them to please stand. I know that you all are very proud of your, your students' achievements, so thank you to the educators. And of course, the parents and grandparents and guardians uh, play such an important role in the educational achievements of children. So will all of you please stand and be recognized, the parents, grandparents, guardians, families. As I think you know, you are part of a national program today. The Letters About Literature uh, program is a national reading and writing program sponsored by the Center for the Book at the Library of Congress. And it encourages young people, uh, grades 4 through 10, to read books and be inspired to write about an author that somehow changed their worldview or their perspectives. We are delighted to be part of this endeavor to promote books and reading among our young people. It's our honor to recognize these student uh, readers and writers whose live, lives have been changed by books. The letters were written by 101 state finalists invited here today. They were selected from nearly 1,800 letters submitted by Maryland students. And later this morning, we're going to hear award-winning letters written to authors Ben Carson, uh, Jerry Spinelli, and Jay Asher. Um, before we begin, I'd like to just recognize some uh, important and special people to the Humanities Council who are here on the stage and a few of our special guests in the audience. Uh, we are very pleased to, uh, to have Michael Sarbanes here with us to present the Christine D. Sarbanes Teacher of the Year Award in a few minutes. Um, also, his brother, uh, oh, there we go, yay. Uh, his uh, brother, John, uh, Congressman uh, John Sarbanes, is here, and I think will be joined shortly by um, Senator uh, Paul Sarbanes, their, their father. Uh, this is a, a family event, which we're very happy about. I also want to thank Natalie Weikert, who is here on the stage representing the Maryland Center for the Book Advisory Committee. She's going to be helping us read all your wonderful names and give out our awards today. 
Uh, I also want to introduce Andrea Lewis, who probably all of you have been in touch with here in the green jacket. Uh, she runs, she is a program officer at the Maryland Humanities Council and runs our Maryland Center for the Book programs. Uh, I also want to uh, thank our keynote speaker, Scott Fuqua, who is here today. Uh, also, Amy Seelberger, who is with us representing Senator Barbara Mikulski's office. Uh, and then, of course, wonderful Maryland Humanities Council board members, who I'm going to ask to wave uh, their hands for their service. Sylvia Golumbeck, I've seen. Deirdre Batajo over here. Um, Alex Castro, new to our board. And I believe also Yolanda Vasquez is joining us today. They're volunteer board members for the Maryland Humanities Council, and we're thrilled for their service. And if you have any questions about our work, please ask them. Um, I also think that Joe Williams is here, who's a former board member of the Maryland Humanities Council and former executive director. Um, so before I continue, uh, this is usually the point in the program where I tell you to turn off your cell phones. But I'm going to do a quick thing before I ask you to do that and break with tradition. So in your program, You'll see some instructions, I don't know which page it's on, where you can support the Maryland Humanities Council with a $10 donation through your cell phone. You can only do this if your parents say it's okay, um, but I am going to do it with you, okay? It's going to take two minutes, I promise. So here we go. If you are okay with this and would like to support us with a $10 donation, you are opening a text message. You are writing give to MHC, give and then the number two MHC. Then, I should have memorized this. Your first name, your last, oh, okay, hold on. Sorry. Give to MHC. No spaces, I'm hearing. Your first name and your last name, and your um, email address. You are sending this text to two zero two zero two two two, and you're sending it. Now. You will be getting a text message back that says, are you really sure that you want to support the Maryland Humanities Council with $10? You just simply reply, yes, and hit send. Congratulations and our deepest gratitude for this support. Uh, there are many ways that you're supporting us. One of them is by being here, but thank you and congratulations. We literally could not do the work that we do without you. So thank you for being here today and for your support. We're going to do a little shuffle in our program today. Um, I want to sorry for this. Okay. It is my honor and pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, our special guest author, Scott Fuqua. We are delighted that he could be here. Scott is the author of four award-winning young adult novels and has written three highly acclaimed literary novels, as well as the award-winning graphic novel, In the Shadow of Edgar Allan Poe. He's also penned and illustrated two books on the history of architecture and a children's book on the history of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad. Currently, he's writing and illustrating new books for kids, 
working on his sixth novel. I can't believe this. See, you know, younger than me, I think. So The Mystery of the Greaser Hotel and writing living, living history plays for the Maryland Historical Society and the Jewish Museum of Maryland. Calvert the Raven in the Battle of Baltimore, which was just released in March, is the first of what he hopes to be many installments of the Flying Through History series. Scott lives in Baltimore with his family and teaches writing and illustration at the Maryland Institute College of Art. Please join me in welcoming Scott Fuqua. Um, first of all, it's such an honor to be here. It's amazing. You guys are amazing. Obviously, you're real writers as opposed to uh, the fakes like me, the frauds. Um, I will tell you, uh, you know, when I was your age, I had absolutely no idea that I would be a writer. And it just amazes me that at, you know, at, at this early, early stage in your life that you knew exactly, you know, what you wanted to do meaning you wanted to craft a letter that was more than just kind of words, that it was something important and vital to somebody who would receive it. And then it became important and vital to, you know, this entire crowd in Maryland unto itself. So congratulations to you guys, really. It's phenomenal. As for me, I want to kind of be a little informal. Uh, that's my nature. And I think good writing is often informal as well. And I think you probably figured that out as you wrote. Um, you know, I want to quickly give a history as to why I, I didn't like writing at first and how I fell in love with it. And it might mirror your history as well. You know, when I was young, uh, I, I couldn't stand school and I couldn't stand writing. And for that reason, I couldn't stand books. It was just something I didn't like. In fact, uh, it seemed a dangerous thing to me because I lived in a very small town and you would go to the library there and on the second floor they had the children's books and I would go up to the second floor and there were literally holes in the floor. And so um, you could die in the library. And the librarians would always tell you, you watch out for those holes, don't fall. And I would think, God, I'm going here buying a book or getting a book and I could die. And I thought, I just don't like these things. It's not worth it, you know. So then I, I started first grade, and first grade was really unique. You know, I'd go there, and it was very, very different than kindergarten. And the nice thing was I started out, as everyone did, in the reading group that was called Green. And Green meant you're safe, you're good, you're going to go moving ahead. And so uh, there was also blue and yellow and red. And within the second week, I found myself in the blue group. And it was a little humiliating. I went home and I said to my mother, you know, I'm, I'm in the blue group now. And she said, well, uh, that's okay. You'll eventually be in the green group. And, uh, you know, I did move away from the green, uh, the blue group. Unfortunately, I moved in the opposite direction. I was quickly placed in the yellow group. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in the yellow group now. And I went home with my head hung once again. And I told my mother that. And she looked at me and she said, oh, that's very, very, Unfortunate, but uh, I, I know eventually you'll work your way back up to the green group. Well, I did move from the yellow group. I quickly found myself in the red group, which meant, boy, you know, this guy's got no luck. He's going to be digging ditches as an adult and that sort of thing. So uh, that's where I was. 
And any kid in the red group obviously does not like writing, does not like reading, does not like any of that. Well, that was the way of it for me a long time. I couldn't spell and I couldn't write. And I absolutely disdained both. Well, then, I guess my 13th year, my family, which moved an inordinate amount of times, found ourselves in Missouri. <clears throat> we called it misery. Uh, it was an unfortunate place to be, and if you look on an almanac, you will see in that specific year they had six blizzards roll across that place. And we moved <clears throat> into a very, uh, very strange home that we were given by the hotel my stepfather was working for. And this home was perched at the very edge of the Lake of the Ozarks. And when I say perched, it really literally looked like it was going to roll down the hill at any time. And so we, we walked into this home, and we were at first very excited until we realized that uh, it wasn't what we had imagined. It was covered in this orange carpet, and it was this kind of thick, raggy carpet. And in that thick carpet, there were twigs and stickers and that sort of thing. I mean, you could not walk barefoot in that home without hurting yourself. And the other thing is, you know, the home had absolutely you know, nothing in it that was enjoyable or satisfying in any way. And we looked around, and the home was slanted down towards the lake. And my mother said, it doesn't look great up here, but you and your brother are sleeping in the basement. So my brother and I walked down to the basement thinking it would be, you know, enormously better than the rest of the house. And we got down there, and it was covered with the same carpet. And it looked pretty awful. And my room was right beside the water heater which was also kind of strange. And we walked around the uh, basement and looking around, and we thought, oh, my God, we'll never make it here. And then we checked out the bathroom, and the same orange carpet went into the bathroom, and as you walked into the bathroom, it squished around the toilet. We were like, oh, man, stay away from that. In fact, you had to use it with your legs straight out. <laughs> you know, so it was very, very uncomfortable. And then, you know, we peeked into the shower, which looked like any shower that had been used for multiple years by multiple people and never been cleaned. But the unique thing about the shower was the drain. The drain was about 12 inches wide. And we were always concerned about the drain, what came up it, what went down it. <laughs> and in fact, we lived so far away from everything that my parents would buy jugs of shampoo because we were getting snowed in constantly. So we'd have these jugs of shampoo that looked like oil drums. We could barely lift them, my brother and I. And we'd use those things, and every so often you'd hear, and you'd look down, and you realize that the oil drum had gone down the drain. It's like, oh, my, where did that oil drum of shampoo go? And I imagine it's still sitting somewhere in Missouri, unused. So that's where we lived. And I remember after about five days there, no furniture yet, we came home and we heard somebody fighting in the basement. And it sounded awful. It sounded like these individuals were battling out with fists. And my brother and I snuck down the basement to look and see what we thought would be two farmers just pounding away at each other. In fact, it wasn't. It was our cat battling a rat. And this rat and our cat were tumbling around the basement. And for some reason in that specific basement, they had decided that the walls should be put up, you know, these panel wooden walls should be put up with magnets. And I guess it was to access the back of these walls. I'm not sure. But the cat and the rat would hit the walls and the wall would fall down. 
So the walls were falling down and the cat and the rat were rolling around in the basement on the carpet. And it was incredibly exciting. It was riveting, in fact. And finally, our cat, Tuffy, got the upper hand and scratched that rat across the nose. And that rat took off. We were like, where is that rat going to go? And he swerved right into the bathroom. And he headed right for the shower and went right down the drain. And my brother and I looked at him and we said, oh, my God. How are we going to take another shower in here? And the entire time we stood in the shower that year, we'd look down at our feet waiting for the rat to emerge. And actually, at that point, when drums of soap went down it, we were glad. We were glad. So my brother and I were in that place, and my parents and I lived in that house, and we were waiting for our furniture to come, which unfortunately was shipped to Texas. So a blizzard hit, and we sat in that house with absolutely nothing to do. We missed three weeks of school. Three weeks absolutely nothing to do except beat on each other, which we did constantly. My brother, though, had hit puberty. I was this little scrawny kid I constantly lost. It was pretty unfortunate. So three weeks like that passed, and I'm telling you, we were just going nuts. And school started, and we were actually excited about school, which was a rarity for me. Problem was, we got to school, and for some reason, you know, the Midwest, they tell you nobody has an accent, and that might be true. That might be true, but for some reason, they also felt that we had an accent, and they presumed we were British, and nobody moved to Missouri at that point, for good reason, I want to say. So anyway, we were there, and they presumed we were British, and they had seen a few British, I don't know, shows, and they assumed that we were, I don't know, standoffish and smug, and so we made no friends, and constantly, we'd walk around, and we'd say, Hi. And they'd say, aren't you that British guy? We'd say, uh, we're not British. We're from Virginia. You sound British to me. And they'd walk off. And that was the way it went for weeks. And I remember one time going into the men's room, and a guy followed me in. His name was Kaiser. And he was about three sizes bigger than me. And Kaiser looked at me and he said, a British boy. And I looked at him and I said, uh, what, Kaiser? And he said, watch this. And he proceeded to urinate in the sink. And he said, don't you ever tell. And I looked at him and I said, I will never tell, Kaiser. And so, stunned, I walked out of there thinking I will never, ever wash my hands in the sink again. And I got outside and I thought, I am not going to make it. I'm going to die in misery. A few days later, I ran into this kid. His name was John. Kaiser had given him the biggest black eye I had ever seen. This thing was swollen on his face. It looked like a, a second head. And he smiled at me, John did, and he said, you're British, right? And I said, no, I'm from Virginia. And he said, well, either way, do you like writing? And I said, no, I, I don't really like writing that much. He said, do you like writing stories? Because he just ignored me. And I said, well... And I was pretty lonely at the time. I didn't really know what to do. And I said, well, um, sure. And he said, yeah, me too. I tell you, I love writing stories. Why don't you come read some of mine? And I was like, oh, God. I have to read this kid's stories. This is going to be so painful. But he was the only kid who was nice to me. So I sat down and I read his stories. And he kind of sat there expectantly looking at me. I was thinking, wow, these are pretty exciting. I mean, these stories are kind of neat. And the coolest thing about them 
was I could barely ascertain the grammar. I could barely see the words. I saw the story. And that was the moment with John, with that massive black eye, that I realized writing isn't about words. It's not about grammar. What writing is about is stories. And if you concentrate on the construction, the tool that gets you the story, the grammar, the punctuation, that sort of thing, you'll lose the story. You need to know those things, but they're just a part of the process. The process is primarily about you and about story and about telling a story. And I learned that from John that day. And I remember going home, no furniture in the house, snowed in for another two weeks and writing. Because the one thing I had was a pencil and paper. And I wrote probably one of the worst stories ever created. In fact, my mother saved it and gave it to me. And I thought, oh, my God, I read this to my mom all the time. And she was saying to me, God, that's great, Scott. That's really, that's, uh, that's tremendous. <laughs> um, I'm sure she walked into the bathroom and just tried to restrain herself from laughing. But I did start writing then. And I've written ever since. And I've learned a lot from writing. So I wrote into high school, and I got the same thing I used to get. Scott, you can't spell. Scott, you don't know grammar. What are you going to do? Well, eventually I made my way to college on an art scholarship. And I remember standing in this one class. It was a French class. And the teacher's name was Dr. Hewitt. And Dr. Hewitt was very tall. And obviously, you've seen that I'm very small. And Dr. Hewitt kind of leaned over me. And whenever Dr. Hewitt leaned over you, you realize he had dandruff in his beard. And you tried to avoid what inevitably was a snowstorm of dandruff that would fall down on you. So he meant well, but he always powdered you. And you looked up at him, and you said, uh, Dr. Hewitt, what? And he said, uh, Scott, I, I want you to know that uh, you're learning French, but you can't write it at all. I suggest you go to the writing center. Why, sir? And I was kind of trying to block the dandruff as it came down. And he said, because I think there's an issue here. Just go to the writing center. So I went to the writing center where I proceeded to learn that I'm dyslexic. I am dyslexic, and I've become a writer. That is proof, absolute proof, that writing is about story. It is about the way you tell something the emotion that you put into it, the joy, the sorrow. It has been a long, long ride. There will be ups, there will be downs. Some of you will go into writing, some of you won't. But what you've done, what you've managed to do, is tell something that spoke to the heart of somebody else. And that is one of the largest and best gifts that you can give somebody. Why are we here on this earth? It is to give and you guys have given. And I am incredibly, incredibly honored to be here amongst you to tell you stories about dandruff and rats. What a joy. Um, I'm sure that's not quite what anyone expected. <laughs> but what the heck, right? So anyway, I am I'm honored to be here. I'm so honored to hear what you've written. And it is a joy. It is an absolute joy. So I'm going to give it back. And you guys can picture... Uh, the bathroom, and you can picture the house. And I did go back many years later. I went back, I guess, about three years ago. And, of course, the house is gone. 
I looked for uh, indications that it had rolled into the lake, but I couldn't find anything. Um, anyway, soon this will all be your past, and you'll look back on it and you'll smile. What a great day. Congratulations, okay? Thank you so much, Scott. That's not at all what I expected, and, and thank goodness. Uh, I'm very happy. <laughs> um, Scott is going to be downstairs signing some of the Calvert, uh, the Raven books, I believe, so you can go down and chat with him afterwards and, and get uh, his books signed as well. Um, well, we've come uh, to the point in our program where we're going to present our Christine D. Sarbanes Teacher of the Year Award. Uh, Letters About Literature has been an inspiration for so many children across America who love to read, and this program gives them a chance to express their, to their favorite authors how much reading has meant to them. The Maryland Humanities Council has been pleased to coordinate the Maryland State Contest of Letters About Literature. One of the council's biggest supporters of literature, letter, excuse me, letters about literature was our longtime board member, Christine Sarbanes. For many years, she was here at the state awards ceremony, personally handing out certificates and offering words of encouragement to our amazing Maryland students. Christine Sarbanes had a true passion for reading and teaching that she shared with the people of Maryland. In her memory, we are pleased to present the Maryland Letters About Literature Christine D. Sarbanes Teacher of the Year Award. And I would like to bring to the podium Michael Sarbanes uh, and her husband, Senator Paul Sarbanes, and her son, Congressman John Sarbanes, to present this award. In 2009, the Board of Directors of the Maryland Humanities Council endowed a special Letters About Literature Award in memory of Christine. In addition to her service at the Maryland Humanities Council Board of Directors, she was also a very active member here on the board of the Enoch Pratt Library. We decided to honor Christine's work as a teacher and present an annual award to a Maryland educator who participates in the Letters About Literature program and has worked to promote reading and writing in their school by employing creative teaching methods to inspire students to read great literature. Through a dedicated life of public service, Christine Sarbanes shared her love of literature and her passion for the humanities with the people of Maryland. She received her BA and MA in classics from Oxford University in England, appropriately. Uh, she taught classics at the Gilman School here in Baltimore, and for 14 years, she was a lecturer at Goucher College. She devoted her free time to serving on the boards of the Enoch Pratt Free Library, the Walters Art Museum, uh, Meals on Wheels, the U.S. Com Committee for UNICEF, the University of Maryland Medical School, and served as vice chair of the Society for the Preservation of Greek Heritage. This year, the Maryland Humanities Council received 27 nominations for the Sarbanes Teacher of the Year Award, recognizing outstanding educators across Maryland. We read many eloquent nominations detailing the extraordinary work of teachers and librarians in public and private elementary, middle, and high schools. We were impressed, but certainly not surprised, by their creativity and dedication. Teachers across our great state work hard to promote both reading, uh, reading and writing, both inside the classroom and in their larger communities. It was definitely difficult to choose one teacher of the year for this award, but one teacher surely stood out. We are thrilled to present the 2013 Maryland Letters About Literature Christine D. Sarbanes Teacher of the Year Award to Clinton Smith, 10th grade English teacher at Parkdale High School in Prince George's County. And Clint, would you please join us on the stage?
Good morning. Uh, I just want to, before presenting the award, I just want to uh, take a moment to thank the Maryland Humanities Council and Phoebe and the board. Uh, this is, as a family, this is sort of our favorite uh, day of the year, in part because it's such a perfect way of capturing uh, what was so important to my mother and who she was. Uh, she actually was British. Um, and uh, she was, uh, she grew up when she was about the age that uh, the students in here are now, uh, it was World War II in England, and she was moving around from house to house uh, because uh, England was being, London was being bombed uh, at the time. Um, and she was one of those uh, children who there were librarians and teachers who saw gifts in her where her own family maybe not wasn't able to appreciate it. So she was one of these kids who would go into the library and the librarian would give her a stack of books and she would come back the next day having read that stack of books and asked for another stack of books. And that was really how she, uh, how she learned the world. She was also... Uh, as a student, uh, someone who teachers saw uh, talent in her and saw a possibility and encouraged that and really uh, pushed her on to go on to university, which was a first for uh, her family, where she met my uh, father. And then she was a teacher for pretty much her entire uh, career. And she had incredible faith uh, and belief in the power of great teaching uh, along with great literature and uh, and great books to shape lives and to make uh, people's lives better and to make the world better. So this award kind of encapsulates all those streams of, of who she was, and it's one of the reasons uh, that we really look forward to this uh, this day every year. So a little bit about, uh, about this year's uh, recipient. Um, and in, in full transparency, I work for Baltimore City Schools, and I've already been trying to recruit him to come to Baltimore City. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> There's his principal, I'm sure. <laughs> so um, uh, Mr. Smith is a native of New Orleans, a graduate of Davidson College, and he has been a tireless advocate for his students since he joined the staff to teach 10th grade English at Parkdale High School in Prince George's County. Uh, through book, book drives, grants, and personal donations, he's obtained over 1,200 books for students at Parkdale, and he shares these resources with the other teachers. His efforts to help his students enhance their reading skills is impressive. It's really uh, impressive. Uh, last year, his students improved their reading levels by more than two years. I just want to pause there. Uh, for people who do education, yeah, that, that deserves a For people who are involved in education, a teacher that is able to do that with their students is literally like gold. I mean, it's really uh, it's something that you uh, look for everywhere. Um, so far, his students this year have seen a similar increase. Uh, he is a students went on to create proposals on standing up against bullying and racial discrimination and visited the Holocaust Museum to gain a deeper understanding of genocide. He also taps his network of area writers and poets to conduct workshops for his students, 
offering the opportunity to work with individuals who are experts in their craft and also come from same, some of the same communities as his students. Also important to his work is the time he takes to individually consult with students to help them find their unique paths to a love of literature. He recognizes that all his students come from different backgrounds, life experiences, and cultural settings, making each of their journeys different. His principal, Cheryl Logan, who's here, and I'd like a round of applause for her. I, I said to Mr. Smith when I met him outside, I said, so, I said, so uh, how long have you been teaching and how do, you know, how, do, how do you like it? He goes, I got an amazing principal, so thank you for being here today. Um, she says, Mr. Smith will never know the lifelong impact that his efforts have had on his students' achievement. They'll never forget him or his belief that their education is the key to improving their futures and the futures of many generations to come. In recognition of his dedication to teaching and his belief in the transformational power of reading, uh, it is my great pleasure, along with my uh, brother and my father, uh, to present the 2013 Christine D. Sarbanes Teacher of the Year Award to Clinton Smith. I'll be very quick. I'm out to prove that senators don't talk forever when they get to the microphone. <laughs> at least former senators don't, at least. Uh, first, first of all, I very much want to congratulate um, Clinton Smith for receiving this award. This, uh, this award means a great deal to us, uh, and we're deeply grateful to the Maryland Humanities Council for establishing it in memory and honor of my wife, who was so active for many years with the Maryland Humanities Council and with the Enoch Pratt Free Library, which is one of the great institutions, I was going to say in our state, but indeed in our nation. I mean, it's just a preeminent institution. And Clinton, I've read of what you've done, and it's tremendously impressive. Thank you very much for, for what you're doing. I want to say one final word about the Maryland Humanities Council. Uh, two weeks ago, I was at an event with Jim Leach, uh, who's the chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities. And I was talking with Jim Leach, and we mentioned Phoebe Stein Davis, and Jim Leach says to me, well, you have one of the best humanities councils of any of the 50 states in Maryland. He says, you have terrific leadership of the humanities council, and they've done some really impressive and innovative work. Well, I couldn't agree more with that statement, but I, I was glad to hear that recognition from the national head of the endowment uh, for the humanities. So Phoebe, to you and all of those who work with you, congratulations, keep up the good work. And Clinton, thank you very much for what you do. I'm gonna be very brief because we wanna move on, but as was said, this is the occasion each year for the Sarbanes family to to thank the Maryland Humanities Council for this tribute to my mother. There are four uh, teachers now that are 
moving around in the world who carry with them the legacy of Christine Sarbanes having um, received this recognition since 2010, and that means a tremendous amount to us. Uh, my mother was uh, British, but everyone thought she was from Virginia, Scott. Uh, <laughs> The one thing I wanted to say before I um, sat down was uh, to salute the parents here for, for the support you give your children um, in their reading. Uh, there are statistics that show that the average young person today is spending seven hours on uh, television, computer, video games, handheld devices, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you name it. Um, and when your children read, they're really swimming upstream in a very, very powerful way, which is going to make a tremendous uh, difference to them over the course of their lives. Um, they are inspired every day, of course, by teachers uh, like uh, Clinton. And that's why we're so pleased to present this award to him and my mother's uh, memory. Congratulations to all the award winners today. Thank you. I want to first thank the Maryland Humanity Council and the Sarbanes family for this incredible honor uh, and for working so relentlessly to push the importance of reading and writing in our schools. I want to thank my parents for being the embodiment of patience, for allowing me to travel so many paths simply so that I could find the right one. I want to thank my colleagues from whom I've learned so much and for who this, deserve, who this recognition uh, is deserving of just as much as anyone. I want to thank my principal, Ms. Cheryl Logan, uh, whose mentorship and guidance has been unwavering um, and has given me the skills and confidence to be at my professional best every day. And of course, I want to thank my students for their curiosity, their brilliance, and their unrelenting will to be so much more than this world expects of them. My entire life, I have loved literature. In my third grade yearbook, one question asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? In prototypical eight-year-old fashion, most of my peers stated, ballerina, basketball star, astronaut, policeman, fireman. My answer, reflective of the awkward, big-headed, dream-filled kid that I was, read, I want to be a Newbery award-winning author. <laughs> <laughs> and while it is something that selective memory could fool me into looking back on with a playful sense of childhood nostalgia, it would be a mischaracterization to do so. Putting those feelings out into the world was not a joyous experience. It was humiliating. My peers did not praise my answer to that question, but admonished it. My dreams were not admired, but chastised. As a black boy at a public school in New Orleans, Louisiana, becoming a writer did not fit into the box of options that this world had imposed on me, and that for so many in my community had subsequently internalized. There was seemingly no room in this world for an eight-year-old black boy to dream of being an author. It wasn't a rapper or a basketball player or an entertainer. It wasn't in prison. It wasn't on drugs. There was no room for a boy whose great-grandfather was literally prohibited from reading by law for fear that any enhancement of his intellect would make him more dangerous to his owners. Being black with a book was dangerous. For so much of my life, I felt that being black with a book put me in danger. I share this with my students, that so many of them are descendants of a history in which being able to read and write would have literally had them hung. 
or that others come from families in which the English language is a buried treasure their families' tongues have never been able to dig up. The opportunity to learn to read and write, I tell them, is not an option. It is a responsibility. To not do so would be an injustice to everyone who came before us, so many of whom died so that you could sit in this classroom and open the book. Whether it is Maria, whose mother slept for nights in the bellies of trucks amid concrete and fertilizer so as not to be smelled by the dogs. I think of Gael, whose father comes from South Africa, where up until less than two decades ago, the Bantu Education Act ensured that in school, he would have been taught nothing more but than how to be a servant for a white family. I think of my own grandfather, who fought for this country in a war it should have never been a part of, only to come home to a place that spit in his face as soon as he put down his gun. We sit in our classroom as ambassadors of our past. We will learn to read critically, write consciously, speak clearly, because that is the only way this world will ever listen to what we have to say. I tell my students, we are not here to celebrate the status quo of stereotypes. Whether it's what you look like, what you sound like, what your name is, or where your family is from, our role is to break out of these boxes the world has tried to put us in. Every day in my class, we use literature to break out of these boxes. We question, we criticize, we agitate, we advocate, we read, and we write. We recognize that we all have a story. My dream is that my students continue to write their story long after they have left my classroom. They are the award-winning authors that we have been waiting for. And I know that a third grade Clint would be extremely proud to be writing this story along with them. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is why we do what we do at the Maryland Humanities Council. Thank you so much, and congratulations to you. Um, it is now time for our long-awaited part of our favorite part of our ceremony, the presentation of our student awards. And at this point, I'm going to turn over the podium to Natalie Weikert. Thank her so much for her work on the Maryland Center for the Book Advisory Committee, and turn it over to her. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Phoebe. This is a wonderful day. Um, I'd like to also thank all of these patient people standing around um, at the walls um, without complaining. Um, I know you're all proud families, and, and, um, and we do thank you. Um, now. The reason we are here today is to recognize our community of student readers, those who find inspiration and guidance in literature. It is our honor to present these awards to these students today. When you hear your name, you students, please come up the stairs to my right, get your certificate, and descend the stairs to the left of the stage. Got it? <laughs> um, and please, everybody else, 
hold your applause until all names have been called. It's going to be very hard for all the fans of these readers, but I know you can do that. Um, I'm going to begin with the level one finalists, um, and that's grades four through six. From Ashburton Elementary School in Bethesda, Sophie Kotlov. From Bryn Mawr School in Baltimore, Carrington Beggs. And also from Bryn Mawr School, Catherine Chen. From Dumbarton Middle School in Baltimore, Jamie Durgan. From Falstaff Elementary Middle School in Baltimore, Tyja Morton. From Farmland Elementary School in Rockville, Alexander Constantino. From Farquhar Middle School in Olney, Subatra Sivam. From Father Andrew White School in Leonardtown, Abigail Wood. From Friends Community School in College Park, Hafsa Abdurrahman. And from the same school, Friends Community School in College Park, Maxine Duvaux. From Gerstel Academy in Finksburg, Matthew Zedlock. From Highland Park Elementary School in Landover, Carolina Herrera. And the next name is from an individual entry in Baltimore, Joseph Mazenter. From Notre Dame Preparatory School in Towson, Sarah Kronsberg. From Oakdale Middle School in Iamsville, we have three students, Olivia Graham, Allie Kingsbury, and Colin Schreiner. From Our Lady of Mercy School in Potomac, Emily Clancy and Caroline Ward. From Plum Point Middle School in Huntington, Amanda Beam, Bibiana Snyder, and Carissa Lauer. From St. Margaret's School in Bel Air, Michael Fenlon and Sarah Spaeth. From Salisbury Middle School in Salisbury, Jacob Laven. From St. Anne's School of Annapolis, Ian Partman and Will Pavlik.
from St. Peter's School in Olney, Matt Demoski, Demowski, I think it probably is pronounced, and Taylor Leach. From Thurgood Marshall Elementary School in Gaithersburg, Gowrie Malik and Benjamin Porter, Ekaterina Saposnikova, and those are our finalists on level one. Congratulations to all of you. And now, level two, and that is grades, that includes grades seven and eight. From Brunswick Middle School in Brunswick, Olivia Deal. Oh, really? I'm sorry, did we leave out? Two West Town students. Oh, my mistake. How did I overlook it? I'm so sorry. From, from level one, I am sorry. I don't know what happened to me. West Towson Elementary School in Towson, we have two students, Emma Kurtz and Harrison Rosenblum. I'm sorry for that moment of panic. <laughs> All right, let's do this again. Um, level two, we're back to level two. And did I call one or two students? Okay. All right. It's the one two. All right, from the beginning, from Brunswick Middle School in Brunswick, Olivia Deal. From Bryn Mawr School in Baltimore. Josephine Finney, from Burley Manor Middle School in Ellicott City, Jisoo Choi, from Father Andrew White School in Leonardtown, Mackenzie Lowe, and Sophia Trentacosta. From the Friends Community School in College Park, Carmen Borgia and Mira Wilson. From the Grace Christian Academy of Maryland in Waldorf, Crystal Shear. From Green Acres School in Rockville, Sandy England. From Greenbelt Middle School in Greenbelt, Dejazwi Pandi. From Hoover Middle School in Rockville, Ashan Tiwari. From Leonardtown Middle School in Leonardtown, Chris Braganza.
From Maryvale Preparatory School in Brooklynville, Gabrielle Amanfo and Sydney Logan. From Notre Dame Preparatory School in Towson, Claire Boland, Emily Cooper, and Grace Motley. From Patterson Park Public Charter School in Baltimore, Solomon Alvarez Gibson. From Pittsville Elementary and Middle School in Pittsville, Paige Ketterman. From Samuel Ogle Middle School in Bowie, Hannah Flores. From Spring Ridge Middle School in Lexington Park, Isaac Zielinski. From St. Anne's School of Annapolis, Victoria Cronin. From St. Joseph's School in Fullerton, Baltimore, Angelo, Angela, excuse me, Angela Estevillo and James Keller. From St. Jude Regional Catholic School in Rockville, Bridget English. From Swan Meadow School in Oakland, Nicole Beachy. From Washington Episcopal School in Bethesda, Catherine Bowles. Oh, oh okay. From West Frederick Middle School in Frederick, Maddie Hurwitz. From Windsor Knowles Middle School in Iamsville, Samantha Buckman and Eric Musa. From Robert Frost Middle School in Rockville, Priya Budhavarapu. Now, I promise you that that is all of those level two finalists. Oh, okay. But, a PS again. Um, Jose will Josephine Finney come back up? Um, Sorry about that. Two certificates stuck together. Yes. <laughs> we didn't want you to think we forgot you. Congratulations. <laughs> Moving on to level three, and that includes grades nine and ten. From Boonesboro High School in Boonesboro, Elizabeth Longerbeam. From Broadneck High School in Annapolis, Mary Buckingham. From Delaney High School in Timonium, Gina Lee, and Kaylee Paranzino, and Vicki Williams. From Grace Community Academy in Kingsville, Lindsay Abel, 
and Julian Harris. This finalist is an individual entry from Gaithersburg, Christina Benjamin. And another individual entry from Rockville, Kathy Lee. From Kent County High School in Wharton, we have six finalists. Seth Betley, Colin Crow, Katie Falls, Morgan Hash, Ashton Mude, and Ian Mulligan. From Maryville Preparatory School in Brooklynville, <clears throat> Eliza Allmiller, Kate Evans, Lonnie Garrett, Lindsay Ricard, and Cecily Solomon. From Mount Hebron High School in Ellicott City, <clears throat> excuse me. Grace Kelly, Laura Radoff. From Northern High School in Owings, Sarah Greenwell, <coughs> Pollen. <coughs> From Notre Dame Preparatory School in Towson, Diana Blair. From Parkdale High School in Riverdale, Jeffrey Carino, and Gloria Rubio. From Parkville High School in Baltimore, George Akparia, Taylor Gondek, and Brittany Swanger. And that's the end of the finalists, and we'll move on to <laughs> we're going to move on now. To oh, okay. Thank you. Time for the presentation to the runners-up. On level one, Katie Butarazzi, a sixth grader at Dumbarton Middle School in Baltimore County, for her letter uh, to, uh, to Eleanor Estes about her book, The Hundred Dresses. <clears throat> On level two, the runner-up is Nazir Bowyer. <laughs> On level three, 
Oh, I didn't say where, where Nazir was from. An eighth grader at Washington High School and Academy in Somerset County for his letter to Derek Barnes about his novel, We Could Be Brothers. <laughs> On level three, Abigail Pollock, a ninth grader from Howard County, for her letter to J.D. Salinger about the classic, The Catcher in the Rye. Congratulations to all the runners-up. And now the big moment. The presentation of first place winners and reading of the letters by those students. <clears throat> um, each of these first place awards, uh, award-winning students, has been asked to read their winning letters this morning, and they've all agreed to it. At this point, I'd like to ask Amy Seeberger from Senator Mikulski's office to join us on stage. She has a special presentation for each of our winners. Amy. Thanks, Natalie. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Senator Mikulski wishes that she could be here herself. She is so proud to see so many Marylanders involved in this program, taking every advantage and opportunity of your education. So she has asked me to attend on her behalf and present special certificates that she has signed to the first place winners in recognition of their award-winning letters, as well as a certificate for Clinton on behalf of his work in the classroom. Thank you, Amy. Um, and now, we welcome our first place winners to the stage. Level one first place winner is Jordan Rose, a sixth grader from Kent County Middle School for his letter to Dr. Ben Carson about his book, Gifted Hands, The Ben Carson Story. My name is Jordan Rose. I've never done this before, but I think it's cool that I get to win first place. So here's my letter. <laughs> Dear Ben Carson, how did you get through it all? All the name calling and all the racial slurs that you endured must have been crippling. I have no idea how you were able to overcome all the adversities in your childhood, but you did. Children can be incredibly cruel. Adults can be very cruel, too. I have endured name-calling and slurs as well. Your book and life story have guided me to be able to overcome my own obstacles. I would like to say with all the gratitude in my heart that Gifted Hands has helped me through all the challenges that I have faced in the last three years. To start with, my family and I were homeless for a while. We went to my grandmother's house just about a month ago. She kicked us out with only a few minutes notice. A church came to our rescue and sheltered us in a motel for a few days. They also helped us with food. My mom worked for the 
works for the local school system and knows a woman that works at the high school. She invited us to stay in her house with her mother until June. After that, she is actually going to let us run a house that she has. Our family has been in multiple crises over the years. My sisters are too young to understand much, but I've seen these crises clearly, and they have scared me. I read your book in third grade, and it's a good thing I did, because it showed me that even in huge crises, anything is possible. You overcame the racism and the name-calling to become the most famous neurosurgeon of all time. Secondly, when I read your book, I saw that you were put down by so many people, including your own teacher. I was impacted by your story because much of the same has happened in my life. My mother and my father have tried to keep things nice for us, even though my father is out of work and my mother does not make enough to afford all the bills herself. My family and I have had to move from place to place on several occasions and though we do not have a lot of money, we are able to stick together and pull each other through it all. I have found that even though we are not rich in health, that we are rich in love and support that we have in our family, much like your own. I've been called nasty names by people, even my grandmother. She has called me the worst names imaginable, racial slurs that don't even match me ethnically. She called me these names intending them cause me pains, and they did. Her words cut me through. Cut through me like a machete. After all, she is my grandmother. Isn't she supposed to love me unconditionally? In school, I have been picked on because I am a student who does not follow the rest of the kids. Some of my classmates skip assignments, goof off in class, and don't always behave kindly to another. I keep my focus on my goal, my education. I do this because I have to be true to myself and reach the career goals, though it often attend, though it often causes me to be teased by my peers. Their teasing does not cut me as deeply as my grandmother's barbs do. Instead, their comments and slurs make me feel sorry for them. They just don't get it. Education is priceless. It is not to be wasted. It is to be appreciated. Because it is important to learn, to develop, to mature. Through all of this, I have kept my grades up and last year finished my year with the highest GPA in the school. Additionally, I have wanted to be a doctor since I was four years old, but in third grade, when I read your book, I knew that I wanted to be a neurosurgeon, just like you. You are my star to follow. I learned from you that poor is not an adjective to denote that you can't achieve or accomplish. Your mom was not wealthy, and because of that, you tried to get scholarships for college. My mom and dad are not wealthy, and I know that in order for me to go to college, I am also going to need have to get scholarships. Without even knowing me, you have encouraged me to apply for scholarships. I am currently attempting to win your scholarship. I want to pass your starlight on to others. I dream of being in a position one day to offer education assistance to deserving students just as you do now. Therefore, Mr. Carson, you are the person who has provided me inspiration to overcome all obstacles and to be the best person I can be. Thank you for publishing your story and inspiring me and just other kids just like me. I will never forget what I have learned from your story. Thank you for sharing your story with all of us. And know that because of you, I have vowed that I will never let anything get in my way of my dream. The, my dream of becoming a neurosurgeon. Your starlight will shine on forever.
Thank you so much, Jordan. The level two winning letter was submitted by Elizabeth Maxey, an eighth grade student at the Bryn Mawr School in Baltimore City, for her letter to Jerry Spinelli about his book, Star Girl. Dear Jerry Spinelli, Star Girl, some may say she is just a character in a book, a very weird and quirky one, too. Others might say she's bold and maybe a bit overconfident. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Thank you. Or perhaps they just think she's different. To me, Stargirl's all of these things and so much more. When I began reading Stargirl for the first time, I immediately thought she was crazy. After all, nobody really acts like that. She is just too bold, outgoing, and oblivious to others' judgments. But as the book went on, I slowly began to like Stargirl. In fact, I grew to know and love her. By the end of the book, I realized who Stargirl really is. She is selfless. She always looks to the feelings of others and cares about their wishes. She never even thinks about herself long enough to consider what others think of her. This is why she's so bold, so caring, so kind, and so different. But her difference isn't a bad thing. In fact, it is the best thing about her. Sometimes I try to see myself like Stargirl. She has become a part of me. She helps me through rough days and keeps me going when I'm down. She's what motivates me to be who I really am and not worry what other people think of me. Stargirl has also helped me to be more open-minded about others. When I see something different or that stands out about someone, I try to think of them as Stargirl, and suddenly, that difference doesn't seem so bad at all. In fact, most of the time, that difference is actually a wonderful thing. The truth is, there is a little bit of Stargirl in all of us. That bit of uniqueness, that difference which separates us from everyone else, is what Stargirl is all about, and she can show us just how beautiful that difference can be. I believe that the world would be a much better place if we were all a bit more like Stargirl. If everyone could show their uniqueness and see the beauty in others' differences, the world would be that much brighter. But for now, I'll just try my very best to keep searching for that little bit of Stargirl in me. So thank you, Mr. Spinelli, for giving me Stargirl. Congratulations, Elizabeth. Our level three winner is Courtney Sipes, a 10th grade student at Kent County High School, for her letter to Jay Asher about the book, 13 Reasons Why. My name is Courtney Sipes. I wrote to Jay Asher, who's the author of 13 Reasons Why. Mr. Jay Asher, when I was in seventh grade, my friend recommended a book to me. She recommended your novel, 13 Reasons Why. At the time, I had not the slightest idea that your book would apply to my life, or even to the friend that suggested I read it just two short years later. 
Like Hannah Baker, my friend felt like she was alone, and I had no idea. Not, no one had any idea, not even her own parents. I did not find out directly from her, but from a post by her in a group on Facebook that opened my eyes to exactly what was happening. When I read the book, I couldn't have predicted what my eyes would see in that group two years later or who was behind the camera. 13 Reasons Why is probably my first ever encounter with the idea of suicide or self-harm. I had not inquired about what one turns to in time of self-doubt, depression, and loneliness. In some ways, I wish I never had. A year ago, a friend of mine created a public group of people who self-harm and people who supported them. He named this group the National Butterfly Project and invited all to join. This group was aimed towards those who needed help from others who knew exactly what they were going through. The idea was to draw a butterfly wherever you cut yourself often, name it after a loved one, and keep it alive. To keep it alive, you couldn't cut, it had to fade on its own, and people who did not cut could also draw a butterfly in support of someone that does. One day, I logged onto my Facebook, entered the group, and saw a shocking photo. There was a f butterfly, the symbol of the group, upon a skinny wrist, layered with scars and cuts that followed. I was shocked at how many scars there were. I wanted to help this person, and I looked at the name that the post came from, a close friend of mine. This was her butterfly, her wrist, her scars, and her feelings. I cried. I had no idea she was unhappy at all, let alone upset to call so much harm to such a beautiful girl. At first, I thought maybe I should confront her, talk to her about it, explain how bad it is, how much trouble she was getting herself into. Now, I have no idea why I thought like that. I searched the internet for answers. What causes self-harm? What should I do if my friend harms herself? Is there anything I can do to help my friend? Well, one of my many, many searches turned up a familiar name. 13 reasons why I showed up in my browser. I thought back to a few years ago, when my, first, when my friend first recommended the book. I thought about how Hannah Baker had felt, alone. I finally realized what I had to do. I set a goal for myself that I was going to be the best friend that I could be to this girl. I wouldn't leave her a chance to feel alone, invite her out more often, ask her how she is doing, if there is anything I can do to help her. This is what I think Hannah Baker needed to save her life, a friend, a pair of ears, a kind heart, someone, anyone. Humans are meant to be social. Humans are meant to rely on each other. Those who have no one are not truly happy. I worry every day about how my friend is feeling. Nobody can ever tell when someone was at her, his or her breaking point. All a person can do is try to push that breaking point farther and farther until it depletes entirely. Because of Hannah Baker's experience, I know now what my friend needs. I need to be the person Hannah did not have. I am that someone, the person who won't leave, that one she can talk to, that one that keeps her steady, because whatever happens, I will be the one who is there. I will be the person she turns to in time of need. I will be her rock. And I promise, friend, you will not be alone. Thank you so much for to congratulations to all of our winners and thank you. You're uh, very brave and very wonderful writers. Um, so thank you for sharing your beautiful words with us.
so at this time, I just want to thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for coming. Uh, to let you know that the first place uh, letters are on our website, which is mdhc.org. You can also learn about 11 other programs that we run. You can also call our offices or talk to us today. We have real live people who answer the phone. Um, I consider you all now ambassadors for the Maryland Humanities Council. When someone says, what do they do? Please tell them. Um, I'd also like to invite, uh, before I ask you to leave, I wanted to ask the winners, the runners up, and our Sarbanes Teacher uh, of the Year prize winner to come up for photographs. Please um, stay and enjoy this free literary festival. And again, congratulations and thank you for being at the heart of everything that we do. Thank you.